You're listening to the Colorado Springs Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by RICO, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. Hey, Colorado Springs. Today's episode of the podcast is going to be a little bit different. So we actually originally published this podcast episode as one of the very first uh, couple of podcasts for this channel. Um, And I actually thought that it would be timely to republish it because everyone's in a little bit uh, of a state of confusion where the market is and where it's going. And, you know, there's just some hesitation going on. So I thought that it would be important to highlight the importance of contingencies and reserve planning for your rental portfolio. Um, Just, you know, a couple couple things I wanted to point out is that I personally have not invested during a down cycle. So this was actually developed as a way to ease my concerns um, of whether I'm prepared, uh, you know, if a down cycle is to occur um, by looking at what components could actually sink me in that case. Um, And again, just to kind of highlight, it's just the purpose of this uh, presentation was to to highlight different levers, get you thinking for your own personal situation. I'm not saying that uh, this is the right way for everyone, but I just wanted to highlight different components, different things to think about for you to make your own decisions on what's best for uh, preparing to weather a potential storm. So hope you all enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. So today we're gonna be talking about reserves and contingency planning for your Colorado Springs rental portfolio. So my name is Chris Lopez. I'm one of the co-hosts on this podcast. And this presentation is actually put together by Jenny Bayless, who's the other co-host and also runs our Colorado Springs investing division. And the reason we put this together is uh, Jenny and I have a lot of fun conversations about real estate investing. And I kind of share my thought. She shares her thought. We have lots of overlap, but definitely some different nuances there. So she's presenting her, how she you know, looks at risk, looks at managing expectations and find that right balance of, you know, maximizing long-term wealth while making sure you don't lose it in the short term. And an interesting interesting thing I'll note on here uh, that I find interesting as I talk with Jenny is her background is definitely numbers oriented. In her previous life, she was a CPA. So she's got a very analytical approach and knows the numbers and is just very savvy with numbers. Jenny, how's it going? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Doing very good. I'm excited to uh, see this because uh, I was supposed to review this presentation before we went live and hit this podcast, um, but life got busy. Kids got sick that did not happen. So this is going to be fun for you to explain to me and the guest on here. And hopefully I won't ask too many questions as you jump ahead or if I jump ahead. Absolutely. All right. So yeah, I thought that this was an important topic to touch on because a lot of times we get excited about what real estate has to offer, which I, I'm totally on board with. But you know, the reality of the situation is that there are risks involved. And I think that it's really important to just kind of um, be cognizant of them and see what you can do to protect your own po- portfolio. So that was why I wanted to put this presentation together. Um, so basically starting off, uh, when, I, when I began my investment journey, I had a very micro level view of uh, what I would consider a worry for a landlord. So what if I get a call at 2 a.m. because a tenant clogged the toilet? What if That's like the classic worry. <laughs> yeah, 2 a.m. Exactly. phone call. <laughs> and How then many what, have you gotten? Uh, zero. Yeah. 
You know why? Because um, this is a, probably another good topic of conversation, but um, we actually provide all of our tenants with um, emergency procedures. So, you know, if things happen in the middle of the night, who to call and, and what to do. So we don't get those calls. Um, you know, other, other worries that people have, tenants destroying your home. Obviously, if you properly vet them, that, that's mitigated. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, none of those things really kind of concern me. Obviously, they're going to impact my bottom line. But in the grand scheme of things, I noticed that as we developed and grew our portfolio, my worries began to evolve to a, a ma- macro level view things that I couldn't control. So what if there's a market crash? What if there's a surplus of rental units on the market? Um, It just kind of expanded to beyond my control and to much bigger issues as as time went on. And what, like, was there like a certain trigger that caused you to kind of worry, you know, stop worrying about the day-to-day, but more worrying about like the, the bigger picture grand scheme? Like what was the tipping point for you or do you know? Yeah. So, um, it actually happened when, um, so every year, uh, at the end of the year, my husband and I go over financial goals and we take a look at, um, you know, our, our finances and everything. And when I saw how much we owned in real estate, it was like, wow, that's a lot. I don't want to lose that. Um, so that was kind of the tipping point for us. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so now that we've created a, you know, reasonable sized portfolio, those are my top worries. Um, so what we went through is, you know, when I started freaking out, once, once I saw all that, um, we wanted to go through and identify what, uh, risks there were, and then, uh, taking an approach to mitigate those risks. So we actually developed a three-tiered approach to reduce my worrying um, related to our rental portfolio. So the first one is is vacancy. So what would happen if I had to rent at a lower rate to get somebody in my property? Second one, expenses. What would happen if I experienced a lot of CapEx and repairs during this time of trouble? And then the third layer is equity. So if items one and two fail, what would happen if I had to liquidate our real estate holdings? So we've been in a period of growth for the past decade, and it's really easy to get caught up in the idea that real estate is infallible. But um, I think that it's important to take a step back and look at all this. So I want to... So, so for your... I'll say like decision-making process, when that's the right word, but like for the way you were kind of able to identify the issues... Mm-hmm. This is what I do, and I like worry about things or you know have concerns. I try to say, "Hey, cool. Here are the one, two, three things that can go to like worst case scenario." So you were yours was like layer one was vacancy. What if mm-hmm. we have higher vacancy and lower rents? Number two, what if we have a ton of just repairs and capex expenses at the same time? Mm-hmm. And then third is what if just the real estate market goes to crap and our investments completely wrong? What do we do if we have to sell? Those are yeah. that's kind of like your tiered thinking. Exactly. Okay. Like basically if we, we consider our, <clears throat> our rental portfolio and sort of a bubble. So, you know, if we had to walk away with zero, but not impacting our, our personal finances, otherwise that's kind of worst case scenario for us. 
I know a lot of people can't see the the PowerPoints. Um, we do have all these notes on on the show notes. Um, <laughs> but your disclaimer here is this presentation will address how you address to counteract these worries so I do not lose sleep over this so you can sleep over other things. So, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's what a my litmus test. I've, uh, you know, if I lay awake at 2 a.m. worrying about stuff, I'm like, you know what? It's, it's not worth it. Um, and as a total note on here, as a total side note, uh, Jen and I were talking before we record this podcast. Her six-month-old daughter is teething right now and she did not <laughs> sleep much last night. My three-year-old toddler uh, had some stomach bug last night. I did not sleep much. So we are chugging coffee. If we're not quite as perky or ever a game on this podcast, that's our excuse. <laughs> <laughs> I like the disclaimer. <laughs> All right. So layer one, vacancy. I know we talked about this in the, the out-of-state versus Colorado Springs podcast, but vacancy is absolutely a giant profit killer. So every month that your property is vacant, you have to absorb all the costs, the mortgage, taxes, insurance, repairs. It adds up real quick. Um, so something that I looked at is how low can my rent go? Hey, sorry. Can I ask you yeah. a random question, Jenny? Absolutely. Because I've talked with investors about this. I don't have my mind made up yet, but you know, some people say, you know, hey, you don't want to buy single family homes because if one goes vacant, you know, you, you're absorbing all the cost. That's mm -hmm. why you should buy multifamily because if you have, you know, 10 units and one goes vacant, you still have it. So I know you have a lot of single families in your portfolio. When you look at that, like what's your discussion to that? Do you look at everything? Like since you have a lot of single families, mm -hmm. if one goes vacant, do you look at that as like a global portfolio? And like, hey, cool, I still have one vacant. My other eight properties are paying rent. Or do you isolate things in silos? And would you compare that differently than like one multi in terms of like vacancy and income? I, I look at everything as a portfolio-wide um, situation. So if one-eighth of my portfolio is, is vacant, I kind of treat it as you know, one unit in an eightplex. Okay. Um, yeah, that's how I look at it. So um, something that I, I consider when I was evaluating this, um, you know, the risk management is how low can I get my rent? Um, to cover everything. Can I sustain a 10% drop, a 20% drop? Because um, I want to be most competitive. So in a time of crisis, I would want to have the best property for the best price so that my property is the one that the, what I would assume is a smaller qualified renter pool will want to rent. Um, so these are considerations that I take into account when I purchase a property. Um, also, as well as if I'm cash out refinancing um, a mortgage, because assuming that all else is equal, the interest cost is going to go up. So my expenses would increase if I do a cash out refinance. So for that, I consider this the first line of defense. Um, if I have a qualified tenant paying all or at least the majority of my expenses, even though I won't have cash flow, I'll at least not have to reach into my own pocket to pay for costs associated with holding the property. And when you run models, do you, do you actually have like a stress test for dropping 10% for dropping 20%? Do you get that granular? No, I don't. Yeah, I don't either. That's why yeah. I was hoping you did that way. I could get back <laughs> off of you, but <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so then the second line is expenses and I know Chris and I have talked about this on, on a past podcast, but um, I, I strongly feel that when 
<laughs> in times of economic stress, when rents are low, vacancy is high, Murphy's Law will inevitably make sure that your furnaces and water heaters will, will break during that this is- time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I really feel that it's really important to have a savings account that we maintain six months worth of expenses per property. And at no point does this ever dip below our designated number. And if it does, I'm reaching into my, you know, personal savings account to replenish it. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not going to go on a vacation or something like that. It, it's that important. Um, and it's for emergencies only. So. I'm curious. And so like the way I have my bank account structured is I, I have a separate, uh, well, some are checking, some are savings account for each property. They're all pretty much online accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I keep right around that six months mark. And that's my, my rents go into there. My mortgage payment expenses come out of there. Do you use one account uh, per property? Is like your operating fund and reserve fund? Or do you actually keep like two separate accounts per property, one for operating and one for emergency? So we have checking accounts and then of course our escrow accounts for security deposits and everything. And we have all the um, rents coming in and mortgages coming out of the checking account. And then each month uh, I actually take one third of our residual cash from our rents collected minus the mortgages and put that into a savings account. And everything goes into one single savings account. And so do you have separate checking accounts per property then? Um, I have them grouped. Okay. Yeah. So you have a few properties per checking account and then one master savings account that's all the properties times six months? Exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting why you do it that way. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's just the way my mind functions because... Yeah, I, I operate things on an individual property basis. Um, I, I like to be very efficient per property, but I look at things in the grand scheme of things as a portfolio, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I, I, this might be, again, I'm, I'm, I, I have everything separate because it makes my counting easier. I'm okay. very bad at like keeping ledgers and, oh, I've got three accounts in here trying to figure out, you know, because I, I, what my concern is for myself and a lot of clients have advised on here is it's, I think you're obviously different with your, with your CPA background, Jenny, is that, you know, it's easy. Oh yeah, I got like six accounts in here. Like, oh yeah, I have enough money to cover everything. Um, it's, I think it's a lot easier to get loose with the numbers. You actually don't say, okay, six months for this property times six months, this property times six months property adds up to this total in this checking account. That's my concern. Mm-hmm. I keep everything separate. Okay. Yeah, I think it's probably how your, you know, how you think of things and how your brain yeah. functions. It's just <laughs> interesting to me, like the, the psychology of it. Yeah. Hey, whatever works, right? Yeah. So you, <laughs> as long okay, as it's so somewhere. You, you group them. Is there any like method to the way you group properties? Is it location, property type, or just say hey, properties one through three are in checking count one, four through six are in checking count two? Yeah, so it's grouped based on so my husband and I split who owns what so that we could maximize the number of mortgages we could take out. So it's grouped based on us first and then it's great grouped based on um location. Okay. Yep. So no, you know, real good rhyme or reason of it, but it's just kind of how we organize things. <laughs> um so 
since we actually, all of our mortgages don't have escrow, um, we work with a, a local bank that allows us to not escrow uh, our, our taxes and insurance. Um, that's kind of my, my nexus for why I take in the rents, pay out the mortgage. And then at the end of the month, I put one third of the residuals into that savings account. Um, and then that'll also be used to pay out taxes and insurance when, when they come up. Um, so it's just kind of our, our method of doing that. Um, but at the end of the year, in theory, we should end at our original six months expenses for our emergency account. In reality, is that what happens? <laughs> not not usually yeah. it's usually a little little up a little down so um we're still trying to figure out the exact uh you know uh percentage to put in there but it's it's hard just because everything changes you know expenses can go up um you know just this year we refinanced three properties so that's going to make things different so it's just kind of you know taking a best guess and and erring on the side of caution is kind of how, how we approach it. Um, so that's really our second line of defense. So the way to shield against the expenses with either less income coming in or no income coming in is cash reserves. And I did just want to clarify that this is only for a real estate portfolio. So my family also keeps six months of cash reserves for personal expenses as an emergency fund. And then these two emergency funds accounts for rental and personal are in addition to just our regular savings accounts. And your regular savings account, to make sure you understand, so you've got your, your real estate emergency fund, your personal family emergency fund, mm -hmm. each about six months times expenses, and then you just have a regular savings account. Is that what you use to fund you know, future real estate investments, stock investments, things like that? Yep. Future yeah. real estate, vacations, you know, fun stuff. So it doesn't always have to be so dire for that general savings account <laughs> that we have. <laughs> so um, then the third line of defense is equity. And um, your castle came out with a really interesting chart that showed um, housing appreciation rates during the past six recessions. And I think it's really important to point out that um, obviously, you know, past performance doesn't uh, dictate future results, but during five of the last six, Colorado Springs actually appreciated um, during those recessions. So I think that's kind of interesting to note. But during the housing crisis, uh, the housing mortgage crisis in 2007, Colorado Springs uh, went down in value about 3.8%, whereas nationally it went down 19.7%. So that's kind of uh, leading into my next point for having an equity buffer. So I want to stop and talk about this because I, I've referenced this chart in the past and I actually have not looked through the, the latest data your castle just published. Um, and so you said five out of the six because this is including... So far, data from the 2020 recession or in the you know the COVID pandemic recession, yeah, mm -hmm. um, and shows Denver increased at 1.5, Springs 1.5, Fort Collins based at 1 percent, and Nashville at 4 percent. Um, mm -hmm. And the thing I always like to point out is, you know, these past six recessions 
only one was driven by the actual housing market, which was 2007 with all the bad loans and Wall Street lending. Um, all the other ones were not housing driven. Um, so generally, I look at it as long as that ha- a housing driven recession, most likely we can see expect appreciation. Exactly. I, I, the, I, I feel the same way that if, like you said, if something's literally driven <laughs> to a recession via the housing market, um, I should hope that that'll be the, the worst that we see during our lifetime. Um, so that's kind of what I use as the benchmark for worst case scenario. So just to kind of back up a little bit, um, I know we've mentioned in the past that I've used the Burr method to grow my portfolio at a pretty quick pace. Um, And then, of course, in a couple of cases, I've cash out refinanced some of those properties that we previously did a cash out refinance as part of the Burr to reinvest that into additional assets. Um, But just to kind of give everyone a high-level point of view from our portfolio management is that we do have a rule that we want our portfolio wide loan to value ratio to be at 65%. So I know that some of you guys are thinking, well, you need 75% probably to do a cash out refinance. Um, We have some properties at 50% loan to value. So all in all, our portfolio wide loan to value is at 65%, which would warrant a 35% drop in value across the entire portfolio to become underwater. Um, and so do yeah. you actually track, <clears throat> excuse me, do you actually track uh, like on a spreadsheet or something like, you know, the, the value, the estimated value, you know, compared to the current loan balance and, and compare them all? I do. Mm-hmm. How often do you update that? Monthly. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Even with like the estimated values in the, on the properties themselves? No, so the 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 asset uh, portion of that with the estimated value, which um, you know, it, it's not historical value or anything, but we just go ahead and do fair market value for that. Um, we will update that probably twice a year, or if we get an appraisal, um, we'll update it at that point. Um, but the loan portion on our on our liability section, we update monthly. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> yeah, we like to keep a close eye on on things. It's kind of fun to mm. to take a look at it and see how it changes. And do you include uh, your primary residence in this uh, 65% LTV or is that excluded from your rental portfolio? So we do have 65% LTV in our primary residence, but it's completely excluded from my rental portfolio analysis. Okay. If that, and do you want to maintain your... Him your primary residence that's 65% LTV or lower? Are you kind of using the same rule of thumb on there as well? (laughs) So we didn't go into it uh, deliberately for our primary with the 65%, but we um, wanted to make sure that we were still within the conforming loan limit, which for El Paso County, it's a little bit lower than than up in Denver. So we just put enough cash into it to, to get our loan to that point. Um, which happened to be 65%. (laughs) So that's kind of where we came up with that. (laughs) But no, it's just kind of ironic that it matches our our rental property percentage. That is, but yeah, for a good podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So just kind of, uh, you know, going back to the the prior 
slide, which I guess if you're listening to, you, you can't see, but the one that Chris and I just described, um, historically during the worst recession to date, which was literally caused by a housing mortgage crisis, the asset values dropped about 3.8% in Colorado Springs and almost 20% nationally. Um, and as we mentioned, all of the recessions, Colorado Springs values rose. Um, so of course we can't, you know, assume that the past is indicative of the future, but this is my absolute final line of defense. So if I'm encumbered by vacancy and I'm not able to pay the monthly bills, uh, via the rent, all my reserves are depleted. The economy would have to be in an even worse position than it was during the 2007 crash for me to walk away with absolutely nothing. And that's based on the assumption of a 20% drop in value um, plus 10% selling costs. I would walk away with about 5% um, equity in cash from cash from closing. So, you know, enough to buy a happy meal at the end. (laughs) So you wouldn't sell because prices dropped. You would sell if your cash reserves are are nearing zero and Mm -hmm. rents are still just in the tank. Zero. Yeah. Okay. It would be dire, dire circumstances. Because you don't Um, care about the price necessarily. You're just saying, hey, if I can't pay the bills anymore, I will sell to make sure I don't go to short sales or bankruptcy then, right? Exactly. That okay. that's the assumption that I've done everything that I can to keep it afloat and I just can't keep it afloat anymore. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely would not sell if everything was renting just fine and the values happened to drop. I you know, I would just hold it. Just right, it's just operating right fine. It. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. If it's operating fine and I'm not um feeling the pain from that. So just a couple final thoughts. Um, I know some people might be thinking, okay, well, what if I'm doing a no matter house hack strategy and I only have 5% down? My thought is that, well, first off, these are just my my worries and and my compensation for my worries. Um, But, you know, I would almost suggest maybe just pump up your cash reserves to balance it out a little bit more. Um, You know, you don't have to follow this to a T. This is just personally how we operate. Um, but you know, just maybe think about having extra, extra cash in your bank account for that. Or on the flip side, if you have two years of cash reserves and 40% LTV across your, your portfolio, that might be a little bit too much. Um, it's really important to understand your personal and market conditions. Um, but this might be too conservative. So I think it's important to kind of balance those out. So we're, I always have this internal debate and we have this debate sometimes too, Jenny. Um, you know, as you, you know, accumulate more rental properties, uh, you know, we both have our, our realtor businesses and all that stuff. So obviously, you know, keeping appropriate cash reserves for, for businesses, for real estate, for emergency funds, you know, a good problem to have, it starts accumulating to a, a pretty significant cash amount sitting in the bank. Uh, mm-hmm. And we all know banks, pay very low right now in <laughs> savings because we're getting really cheap mortgages right now. So that's the trade-off. But do you, do you always just park at cash? Or are you putting someone to like um, CDs or 60-40 stock bond split to get some gain? Like what's your thoughts on that? For our uh, savings, for, for our reserves for personal emergency, it's just in the bank. Um, I like to keep it simple. 
Yeah. And same thing for all your, for everything, for real estate, personal, everything. It's just in the bank. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That, that's how I feel too, because like, I don't know, I've, I mean, I, I had money in businesses in the 2008 meltdown and, you know, had, had the roller coaster there. And I have very vivid emotional memories about that. Um, every time they go, oh, maybe I'll go invest into like a, a, a moderate risk, you know, a stock bomb, if we'll say a 50 50 split type thing. I model, I'm like, okay, cool. I might make an extra like $5,000, $8,000, $10,000 a year or $20,000 a year, an extra 5 7%. And every time I look at it, I'm like, you know what? The couple extra bucks a year is just not worth that trade off that if things drop, I could be, I could be uh, in a bad space. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I say this because I've, I've worked with a lot of clients, I've talked to clients and other investors that, you know, they, they did not, they were not, uh, you know, in the adult job world, you know, when the 2008 crash happened. And as everyone knows, you know, the stock market, real estate market's just been on a, you know, a run to the last year or so, especially the stock market. And everything's invested in, in stocks and bonds. And people tell me that. I share my two cents, but it, it scares me. Because I think, I'm, oh man, yeah, they're, they're, getting those, they're getting those returns. But I'm like, what if when that happens? And I've been through that and that's what just scares the crap out of me. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think that squeezing an extra few dollars out, you know, opportunity cost wise, I guess, um, for the almost insurance of having it just be static to me is, I don't know, I'd rather just know exactly what I have and, you know, collect my three pennies a month on it or <laughs> whatever it is. And that's the word I use. I call it insurance. Um, mm-hmm. It's my insurance, and that's a very different silo than investing. Yep. So I, I'm glad I, to use I that agree. word. <laughs> so yeah, I think just to kind of reiterate, I think that even in times of offense, which is building your portfolio, it's important to ensure with an E, <laughs> your defense, um, which is reserves, um, making sure that that's strong. Don't over leverage your real estate, both, and I use that in terms of debt and operations. So, full disclosure, when we were doing a lot of our Burr properties, I'm not going to lie, there were times where we were skating pretty dangerously thin to being over overextended in terms of um, you know our abilities to get everything done at the same time. Um, you know, we were scrambling to get multiple properties refinanced at the same time too, which is kind of a little nerve wracking. So, um, you know, it ended up working out for us, but I like taking a step back. I don't think I would have done that again. Um, so I think that's just kind of important to, to understand also. Um, and just kind of what we mentioned it's easy to get caught up in the excitement of your, your your rental properties when things are going well, but you always need to make sure that you're prepared to weather the bad times so that you don't lose everything that you worked so hard for because that's just devastating. Yeah, and, and my attitude, I mean, anyone that's talked to me more than you know, an hour has heard me say this, it's a matter of when, not mm-hmm. if. Things are sideways in you. And, and for me, it's, you know, hey, it might be, hey, the market goes down, but what happens if it's the stock market goes down? The real estate market goes down. You lose your job. You your business goes sideways. Your tenant destroys your your house, and then three furnaces break. You know, just mm-hmm. like hey, worst case scenario. Obviously, like it's a low probability, but it's one of those events that could you know wipe you out. And that's always my focus. Is I'm 
I'm not worried about like, okay, cool, whatever. A, a, vac- um, uh, a, a unit since vacant for an extra month. Um, or, you know, I'm like, geez, I got to repaint the place or uh, this stupid brand new furnace I bought four years because now it's out of warranty, just broke again. Like, I don't care about a couple thousand dollars mm-hmm. in the grand scheme. But what worries me is just like that low probability event that could like wipe me out. Because exactly. my philosophy, as long as I can keep, keep hold on to everything in the next 30 years, I should <laughs> win at the game of life, you know? I, I completely agree. I, I, my brain goes to worst case scenario. And, um, you know, my husband is a statistician and, you know, he's always like, well, the odds of that happening is extremely low, but you know, if it helps you sleep at night, this is, <laughs> you know, I think we're pretty weathered on that. So that's just kind of, um, yeah, my, my thought also. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Jenny, <laughs> this was very insightful. I learned a lot. And this is one of the things that, you know, you know, as we're launching this podcast, we just recently launched our firm as the Envision Advisors now. We're trying to go above and beyond just the normal, hey, here's a good deal. Here's how to go out there and balance your property, but how to actually go out there and acquire a portfolio, but make sure you hold on to it and optimize it. And so really diving into these, you know, deeper financial concepts. And I mean, let's be real, like talking about financial reserves is not real exciting. It's not real sexy, but it's a, <laughs> a critical component to have because there's a lot of people who are real estate rock stars in 2006. They lost everything the next couple of years. The people mm-hmm. that didn't, that, that I've talked to, the main difference maker was cash reserves. That was the biggest difference in the world between the people that, that survived it um, and the people that end up going you know, bankrupt in short sales was cash reserves. So like understanding this, figuring out your risk tolerance, it is mission critical. I think, Jenny thinks, if you guys understand, and that's the type of value we're also trying to help you go out there as you build your portfolio and hopefully, you know, build it, acquire it, and retire in 15, 20 years type timeframe. So Jenny, thank you so much. Thank you. 